here shortly why no was not an option. So this evening as I share a personal word of testimony, I trust you'll bear with me as we work through how the Lord has been with me and how I share that with you. And I just want to, just at the start, I want to read one verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And it simply says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you're here tonight and you don't know who I am, I am Mark McCrum. My mum and dad was the late David and Ella McCrum, known locally as David and Ella. Um, I, have three, I have three brothers and one sister, Junior being the oldest, Derek, who is with us here this evening, Alan, myself, and I have one sister, Joan, who I'm so privileged to have, because <laughs> the sisters are always spoiled. Looking back, the biggest blessing as I sat and looked at these few notes before me, the, the biggest blessing that I could say at the outset, apart from coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour, without a doubt, would be the blessing of having godly parents. Parents who value church. Parents who valued the prayer meetings in the church. Parents who faithfully prayed for each of their children. Parents who faithfully prayed for each of their family. Parents who valued God's word. Taught us the importance of reading God's word. Taught us the importance of studying in God's word. And taught us the importance of why we should obey God's word. Parents, who can, I can honestly tell you the night, put the Lord first. I was saved at a very early age, one night after church, as we got sorted for bed, only being seven years old. Being concerned about salvation, I came up to the kitchen after, long after we were supposed to be sleeping. You know, you get the excuses. You come up for a drink and you come up for this and you forgot that. Um, I come up to the kitchen and it was, it was normal to come to the kitchen any night. Late on, 10 o'clock was late on when we were supposed to be sleeping from 8 to find my mum on her knees beside the fire doing her prayer time. Come up to the kitchen as usual. Mum was there. Dad was out at another meeting. And I got down beside mum and we chatted about salvation. I asked mum questions that had concerned me through the day, through the meetings that I'd been at Sunday school. We chatted a little further and realising that God was indeed speaking to me there, 
in our kitchen, down on my knees beside my mum, I asked the Lord Jesus into my heart. At seven years old, I was only doing what I needed to be done if I was to go to heaven. I'd been taught that. I had learned that at Sunday school. It was something that I knew. The verses we read in Ephesians reminded me of my need of a saviour. Even at the start of chapter 2, verse 1 says that I was dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2 says that I was a child of disobedience. Verse 3, a child of wrath. But the change came in verse 4, where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, quickened us together in Christ. And verse 7 says, He might show the exceeding riches of his grace through Christ Jesus. And that night, in our kitchen, I got that. I understood what verse 8 says. For by grace you are saved through faith. The faith in believing the Lord Jesus Christ as my saviour. And I realised there was nothing that I would ever do that would get me to heaven. But it is the gift of God. And I realised that night that that gift of God was there for my taking. And I thank the Lord that that night I took that gift. And that the Lord saved me. There was nothing that I could do before God that would secure my salvation. Only believe in the work of Calvary. And that's exactly what I had done. All those years ago. And, and you know there's many, many times I sit in gospel meetings. Here, week after week. Maybe other, other meetings that, that I would attend. And I listened to the preacher or I listened to God's servant painting the picture of the gospel. Painting the picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ done. And what the Lord Jesus Christ can do in a life. And you know I sit in those meetings and I thank the Lord that what the preacher is preaching on, I have it here. Have you ever done that? When you sit and hear the wrath to come and see how dreadful hell is, I will never be there. Because the Lord Jesus Christ had that gift of salvation. On that night, I claimed that gift as my own. But you know, just over a year later, on the evening of Monday the 15th of March 1982 as we sat round the kitchen table doing our homework which some evenings was a challenge homeworks I just hated homeworks and I see some of our kids have some of my genes in them <laughs> but that night as we sat at the kitchen table doing our homework there was a lady walk past our window. And that lady would come with probably the worst news that any family would ever want to hear. That lady was Mary McMullen who lived just up the road here. She worked in a jeweller's in Bambridge. And Alan, after school, would go to piano lessons at the bottom side of the town on the Castle Wallen Road. And then he would make his way up 
to the jewellers where Mary would lock up the jewellers and at half five she would drop them off at our house on the way home. She never usually stopped. She always pulled up, she let all off, blew the horn and drove on. But my mum knew when she seen her passing the window. Do you know, Alan had came up into the jeweller's shop. He was standing with his back to the road, chatting with Mary as she'd done her chores of tidying up and getting the jewellery into the safe and, and whatever other things she needed to do before she locked the door. And a £500 car bomb across the road exploded. Mary dropped to the ground behind the counter and a few moments after she got up in the middle of the mayhem, in the middle of the debris, the smoke, the dust, the building alarms going, she stood for a moment but Alan didn't get up. She went round the counter to find him slumped on the floor. Part of the car had hit him in the back of the head and had continued into the shop and was lodged in the back wall of the shop with some of Alan's hair still on it. That's an eight-year-old. Alan was three years older than me. He was 11. As that news started to filter back into the house, as neighbours came and friends called and phone calls came and people came bewildered trying to make sense of what had happened. An eight-year-old who had been talking to his older brother that morning, we had chatted as we got ready for school, we had chatted on our way to school. For me trying to put together what could be the possible worst outcome I could take you to the very spot in my bedroom that I went and I prayed to the Lord that he would touch on and that Alan would be fine I was hearing conversation in the house and things didn't look good, didn't sound good and sadly later that night under the direction of medical staff in Craig Avon Hospital, Alan's head injuries were so severe that the doctors had advised turning his life support up. Joan and myself, we were taken to my auntie's over the funeral. Friends to be told and to try and comprehend the one who, who you played with, the one who you argued with, the one who you wrestled and done what young boys do, the one who you had long conversations about, the ones who you went down the fields with, to comprehend that they will never come back at eight years of age is hard to do. But Psalm 18 and verse 30 as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is tried he is a buckler to all those that trust in him for who is God save the Lord 
or who is a rock save or God. Verse 32 says, It is God that girdeth me with strength and makes my way perfect. And friends, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the trial is, friends, no matter what valley you face before you, as a Christian, it is God that girdeth you with strength and it's he that makes thy way perfect. And friends, I can honestly tell you this evening, his ways are truly perfect. In every situation, having parents who walked with the Lord, it was evident not only to us as children, but anyone who knew them and spoke with them, that they practiced what they preached. They always put God first in every situation. They relied on God for help, especially for this situation. You know, a few months later after the funeral was over and things had quietened down, mum and dad received a letter from an NLA inmate in McGabry Prison. A man serving time for terrorist activities not related to the Bombridge bomb. After a few letters he had asked if it would be okay if mum and dad would go and visit him. The reason why he wanted to speak with them was that the next morning after the bomb had exploded, the, some of the TV crews had came to the house and asked would, they do, would Dad do an interview. Dad being Dad said he would do it on one condition. That every word he said, they would not edit it, but they would broadcast it from start to finish. In that interview, he said it was not his place to condemn these men. But God was the judge of each and every one of us. And he alone would judge. He went on to explain how Alan was saved. And that this being the next day after the bomb, that he was in heaven. But true to their word, they broadcast that interview from start to finish. This man couldn't comprehend how someone could lose their son and stand and have no bitterness towards those who carried out that bomb. And he wanted to meet these two people. And you know, they met with him several times. And he did indeed give his life to the Lord. Friends, through all this heartache, one soul, one person, one life dramatically changed in a prison cell. Is it not worth it? Perhaps you're in a valley, you're in a situation that is lonely. You find it stressful, it gives you anxiety. 
perhaps even getting to a level of a place that is, it is unbearable. I want you to take, if you take anything Christian from this meeting tonight, I want you to remember that as for God, his way is perfect. You know, I continued through school and after leaving, I enrolled in a three-year course as a mechanic. Served my time in a local garage in Bombridge. But my Christian walk was, I was just going through the motions. I thank the Lord that he shielded me from things of the world. I had no interest in smoking. I had no interest in drinking. But James chapter 2 and verse 18 reminds us that true faith and good works are inseparable. James ends the chapter with these words in verse 26. For the body without the spirit is dead. And so faith without works is dead also. A body without the spirit is lifeless unless useless and of no value. And so faith without works is dead. We are ineffective. We are worthless to God. Friends, I was saved, but I wasn't serving. And you know, we are not served to sit. We are saved. We're not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. And this troubled me. And I asked myself the question. What am I doing for God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What am I doing for God? How do I serve God? From this time last Sunday at half six, what have I done for God? What have you done for God? I want to touch back on that there in a few moments, but after serving my time as a mechanic at the age of 21, I was able to apply for my lorry license. Which I did. Myself and another fellow David, we had got booked into a week's training, which started on a Monday morning. We drove about the country, wasting diesel all week, and then on a Friday, we had a driving test. And as here, <clears throat> as I look back, I can see the Lord's hand upon me. The Sunday night before our driving lesson, this lad David and me was sitting in Portadown. Kathy's giving me looks here, rather. We spotted these two girls sitting like two angels. And as you do, you pulled in. The one in the driver said, said very, very little. But I remember thinking, honestly, I remember sitting looking over and I goes, there she's there. And I was probably sitting looking at her, smiling himself, looking like a complete idiot. But you know when you get the butterflies and you get all nervous. Well, all was going well. You could nearly, it was like a movie, you could nearly hear the romantic music playing in the background. All was real. You couldn't, you couldn't describe it. Until in conversation I says, well, what do you work at? And Kathy turns around and says, I'm a traffic warden. <laughs> well, 
the romantic music stopped instantly. It just vanished. Apologies to any traffic wardens that's listening in. Turned out it was a joke. But uh, I just looked down and goes, a traffic warden. What a diner. Excuse me. But on the following Monday morning, the very next morning, David and me sat off on our driving lesson in the lorry. On the particular route, which was the very first route we t- took, we went through a village called Rich Hill. Now, if you'd asked me where Rich Hill was the previous day, it, you could have told me it was in Cork, and I'd have said, that's brilliant. I hadn't a clue where it was. I didn't know, never had been in it in my life. And I know if Albert and May is watching, it's a brilliant place. <laughs> Lovely wee village. Whenever we come up in the junction in the middle of it, I'm not sure if you know Rich Hill or not, there's a T-junction. I come up and I stop, looking left and right. I look straight in front and I couldn't believe my eyes. Kathy's car was sitting outside her dad's sweet shop. She had told us she was a traffic warden. She lived in Blairay. And everything just... I don't know where she was trying to put me off, but persistence... Uh, it, it worked out. So you can imagine my surprise when I spotted her car, but you can imagine her surprise when we got back and got dark car and got back to Rich Hill and downed it in for a lock of sweets. <laughs> she near died. That was in 1996, I think. Three years later, on the 1st of June 1999, we were married in the same Rich Hill that I had never heard of in the Rich Hill Presbyterian Church. Next week, not this Wednesday coming, just making it plain I know, the following Wednesday is the 1st of June and we'll be 23 years married. Yeah, it's just must be 23, yeah. The Lord has given me a loving wife. She is one who loves the Lord. She walks with him And she puts him first in everything that she sets her hand to. And you know, in 23 years, I could count on one hand the amount of times that we've had a quarrel. Three or four of them is probably me not listening, if I'm honest. Kathy makes our house a home. And you know, she is one who I thank the Lord for each day. As we live our lives together. We have four children. Considering Jonathan's 16 and he's about that height. Sounds strange calling him one of the children. But um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think I'm just wearing away and getting smaller. So Jonathan is the oldest. David is the next one of 14. Rebecca is nine and Holly is seven. And you know the Lord has blessed us so much as a family. Each one of our four families, or four in the family, have asked the Lord Jesus Christ into their life. We have household salvation. And you know, that was always our prayer before we had children. And I'm thankful tonight that the Lord has, in his mercy, he has answered our prayer. Friends, 
I know there's parents here who pray for your children. I know there's grandparents here who pray for your grandchildren. And I want to encourage you this evening to keep praying. God is the one who is faithful. Even here in the church. Never forget to pray for one another. We all have those difficult days that we need prayer. Times when we are not able to pray ourselves. And as a fellowship here we should pray one for the other. And you know if you're here tonight and you're wondering yourself. What's Mark McCrum doing up in the pulpit there? Or maybe you're tuned in and you're going I know that lot. Don't panic I've asked the same question. But here's the answer. If you had known me ten years ago. And Alistair had sent me up to the front with a mic. I'd have said no. All I had to do was do that there, hand it over and go back. Petrified me. Never would I have been found. I couldn't have got no out quick enough. Until one Sunday morning, after serving communion in the old church, which is just round the corner, Pastor Eddie Ray was the speaker for that particular day. And after we had partaken of the emblems, he was sitting in the middle. I was here, and I can't, I think Philip Henley was on the other side. Sitting on my head, I my shot. And I got this drive of an elbow. And he says to me, Brother, close you in prayer. I have never had panic like it in my life. I can't start and have a conversation with him that I'm not doing it. The door was, exit was here. I felt that wouldn't look good. Pastor Crawford was sitting about two foot from the front of me, facing me. And I couldn't think of a worse situation to be in. Only get up and pray. I'd never prayed in my life out loud. But do you know what? I couldn't exactly ignore him. Because he had nearly knocked me off the chair. I was, I was tempted to sit there and if, if I don't do anything, he'll nudge the other one. But I, I says, I, I need to do it. But you know, I stood up after a few moments. And I have no idea what I said. But the Lord gave me every single word that I said. And you know, if I pick up from earlier on when I said in my teens that I was lukewarm with the Lord. I wasn't serving him. I was challenged about serving God. Now after that morning, here's the problem I had. Pastor Crawford. On the way out, hit my chap in the back and he says, you do the table in a week or two. I couldn't get no out quick enough. I think I said about six times, one after the other. And you know, he just hit my north chap on the arm as I walked off and he says, good man, you'll be fine. So the nervous nights, nervous mornings, Pastor Crawford, if you're listening, you've given me so much on sleepless nights. But I thank him because I can, he has given me 
the push I needed for the Lord to come even here tonight and give me the help to stand and share with you my testimony. So I am thankful that he did persist. And here's why I'm standing here tonight. I haven't eaten nothing from dinner time. My stomach has churned from four o'clock. I don't know if if it looks like that up here, if you can see that I'm petrified. You can't see my knees. But here's here's what I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians 3 warns us in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, hay, wood, stubble, it shall be revealed by fire. And the the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. Friends, this challenged my heart. That one day I would stand before God, freely taking his gift of mercy, And I would stand before him and I had done nothing for him. How would I answer God? Surely when he gave his all, his son, for my atonement. Surely I should give my all in serving him. Here's not where I'm comfortable. I would happily hoover every Saturday around the church. It would suit me more. But do you know, whatever I do to serve my Lord, he always gives the help that is needed. If I asked Sidney for this morning, did he need help of the Lord this morning? Absolutely. The Lord helped him this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That weakness is my weakness. That is your weakness. And that's when the Lord's strength is made perfect. We depend on him. If I could get up here in my own strength, then I'm relying on me. But when I get up here in the strength of the Lord, friends, I am relying on the Lord to give me the strength. Give me the help. I have prayed for his help this evening. And I know others have prayed with me. Of sharing what the Lord means to me and what he has done for me. You know, one Sunday morning, I was leading. And Pastor Jeffrey Ward and myself was in this little room. For a few moments prayer before we come up into the pulpit to begin the meeting. Pastor Ward shared with me in that wee room that whenever he sat out serving the Lord as a pastor, that an old faithful prayer warrior shared with him 
one truth and he says you take this with you no matter where you go he told them that whenever you're sitting on the front pew and the speaker in the pulpit introduces you to come and share God's word he says when you rise and you make your way to the steps if your stomach's not churning on the bottom step turn and go back and sit down because he says you're getting up in your own strength and you know I want to leave a question are you not serving the Lord because you think you would be relying on your own strength are you not serving the Lord because you think you don't have it in here friends to serve the Lord you don't need to be in a pulpit you could be talking to people where you work but sometimes that's as nervous as standing here but the Lord always gives the help you know friends I'm just a lad that lives up the road I'm a sinner saved by grace I'm not perfect but I'll stand before God someday and I'll give an account of my service to him I'll give an account of how I live my life before others to him. That should encourage us this evening to serve the Lord and to live our lives bringing glory to his name. Do you know in every one's walk in life we have mountaintop experiences but also we come to the valleys as well. In 2013, my mum, who battled for two years with cancer, sadly died at the age of 73. Mum was one who loved the Lord, one who was very gracious in every way, in everything she'd done, one whom we miss so much. Even last July 2021, my oldest brother, Junior, while struggling a little with his health, died suddenly at the age of 57. Junior also was saved many, many years ago. That night, Joan and myself had to walk from Junior's house up to my dad's house. And we had to explain to him what had happened. That was probably one of the most difficult things I found myself that I had to do. Sadly, Dad's mobility wasn't great over the most of last year. And sadly, six months after Junior died, Dad died on the 2nd of December, which was Kathy's birthday. He was a very wise man, very godly man. And as Pastor Crawford mentioned at his funeral, he told you how it was. There was no back doors. He was straight. And you know, one night as I sat chatting with Dad and down in his bed, I'd had a conversation previous with someone who had said the Lord had let them down. 
that person remained nameless, but I shared with Dad that someone had said the Lord let them down. And I can see him yet. He sat in the bed and he looked straight in front and he never spoke it. It could have been three or four minutes. And finally he said, I'm nearly 90. And the Lord has never let me down once. Not once. That, my friends, is one who has experienced a walk with the Lord. One who has experienced a lifetime with a faithful God. Isn't that a blessing? Today that walk has turned into an eternity of worship and glory in the presence of his Saviour. If you're sitting in the church this evening, perhaps you're even sitting at home, tuned into this service, you're not saved. Verse 8 in Ephesians 2 that we read at the start says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a free gift, a gift that is waiting for you. You know, this evening I have shared that out of seven of our family, there is only Derek, there's myself, and there's Joan. Just three of us out of seven. Alan at the age of 11 killed in a bomb blast. Junior at 57, died of a heart problem. Mum, at 73, died of cancer. And Dad, who at the age of 90, died of old age. But I want you to notice something. Death, in no matter what form it comes, death, at whatever age it comes, But friends, death is definite. It will come. There is something that Alan Jr., my mum and dad, had in common. They made a decision. A decision to accept the free gift of salvation. Mentioned here in verse 8. Tonight, if you're not saved, you too have a decision to make. And I want you to look at two men just as we close, who had a decision to make. If you have your Bible with with you, turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 19. God's word says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was led at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, 
and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from the thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to his father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one of them from the dead, if they hear one from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and not the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. In these verses we have two men living two lives. Lazarus the beggar, who lay at the gate eating crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, while the same rich man sat clothed in purple and fine linen. These two men had very different lives. They both made very different decisions. There were only two options they had. This evening, friends, there are still only two options that you have. Option one is believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came to this world to die for us in our place as our substitute. God is a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. Or option two, you can get off your seat and leave this meeting a sinner just as you were when you came in. And you know, whether you want to admit it or not, leaving here unsaved is still a decision. A decision that you will make when you leave this building. The rejection of one option is an automatic acceptance of the other option with nothing in between. Not only had these two men made a decision, but I want you to see that these two men had a departure. Hebrews 9 and 27 reminds us, and it is appointed unto men to die, but after this the judgment. We all have that time that is appointed. And that's exactly what happened. The word appointed means designated time or decided on beforehand. Our reading in Luke verse 22 and it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died. He departed. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And he departed. Friends, death comes to us all with the exception of those who will be caught up on the day that the Lord will come to the air for his own. Those who are saved. Those who have accepted him as his saviour. Lazarus's time was appointed. The rich young or the rich ruler, the rich man, his time was appointed. 
We see the decision they made. We see the depart, departure they had. And friends, this is the most important one. The rich man in verse 23 says, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. Sadly, we see the destination of the rich man. He found himself in hell. A lost eternity. As he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, we are reminded that at that particular point, he was too late to do anything about his destination. Verse 26 says, And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So they that which pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. Friends, the rich man's decision was the wrong one. He had just realized that his wrong decision brought about the wrong destination. Look at verse 28. For I have five brethren that he, being Lazarus, may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torments. That same rich man this evening would want you, my friend, to know that his place of destination is a place of torment. A place of weeping and wailing. Out of the three, the decision, the departure and the destination you here this evening have only control of two. Out of three, the decision, the departure and the destination, there's only two of those in your control. Here this evening your decision will affect your eternal destination. Please note they are both linked. The departure date is the one that is out of your control. Your departure date is in the hands of God. On the 12th of March 2012, Jeff Waldman arrived at San Francisco uh, International Airport. That terminal in its fancy design is laid out in a tight triangle shape which means that during busy periods the long queues sometimes converge. Jeff, who was flying out, sorry, he was flying out to Los Angeles at gate 54A happened to be boarding at the exact same time beside him was the gate 54B, which was a flight to Dallas. Jeff is not sure how he got into the wrong boarding lane, perhaps while using his phone, being distracted by those around him. But he accidentally started to follow the wrong boarding lane. He continued up to the desk, unaware that the signage over his head said in bold letters, Dallas. Strangely, his ticket scanned. There was no alarm. No one picked up on the air. He made his way onto the plane. And the most bizarre thing was, his seat number on that plane was empty. The plane was full by his seat number. He sat on the seat. He got comfortable for his much anticipated flight, still unaware that he was in fact heading the wrong way and to the wrong destination. 
But he made the flight, only realizing that when the plane landed, he in fact was in Dallas. When Jeff made a decision for a destination, the departure time came and he found that the destination was different than what he had planned or wanted. And you know, as I close here this evening, I want to ask, is your decision and your destination based on what you want and where you think you're going? There is only one way to get to heaven and that is accepting the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Friends, don't be like Jeff. He was complacent. He thought he was on the right path. He was making it his own way. Friends, I don't want you to be complacent this evening with eternity. I want you to keep your eye on the warning signs that God has your departure time in his hand. This evening, one thing that is true, each of our departure dates is drawing closer. As each day passes, we are a day closer. Remember, death is no respecter of age. Death is no respecter of person. And I want you to realize something here tonight. Out of each of us that's gathered in this meeting here, in this building in Points Pass, If the Lord hasn't come, one of us will be the next to see our departure. If that someone is you, do you know your destination? What decision have you made? Friends, we trust and pray that tonight that you would make the right decision. And that this day, Sunday the 22nd of May, 2022 would be the day that you would take the Lord Jesus as your personal saviour. We trust that you would make the right choice here this evening before you leave. Make the right decision. And friends, we trust the Lord will bless these few thoughts this evening. Let us pray.